Today our verse that we're going to be looking at is verse 11 of chapter 1. I'm going to back up a little bit just to read the text until we get to that verse. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to a church that he personally has never visited. That is the church at Chalasa. Uh, they have come to know the Lord uh, through the ministry of Paphras, who was converted under Paul's ministry, probably while he was at Ephesus. And then he went back to his hometown and out of his sharing of the gospel with some of his friends and others, there developed a small group of believers. Some problems arose in that little group, wasn't necessarily major earth shattering problems, but some problems and discussions. And so he, Epaphras thought enough about the church and concerned about that enough to take the time to travel about the 1300 miles from that Ephesus of Colossus to Rome to Paul who was in prison and Paul responded to the church by writing this letter. And so we are working our way through and beginning in verse nine, I'm going to just back up there to read uh, the first part of that introduction to that chapter is just expressing gratitude for what God has done and how he's reached the people and the gospel has begun to bear fruit. And he, he uh, is, is talking about Epaphras and that he is a bond servant. This is uh, verse seven. And Epaphras has informed us of your love in the spirit. Just I did, didn't mention it before, but I was noticing this morning, the word your there is emphatic in the Greek. And what that means is that Paul is just saying that I'm very excited about your, and he's emphasizing your love, your care for each other, your provision for each other, your investment in each other. I'm just so impressed about your love in the spirit. And so since I've heard of that verse nine, we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will. We've been talking about that full knowledge and the fact that it's important to have a, a strong, and this uh, word is an emphatic word of knowledge, a strong experiential knowledge of God's will. It's important to have that information in your mind. The word fill there, I mentioned several times, has the idea of being controlled but it also has the idea of being complete. Which if Paul is, if we look at that verse like that, Paul is saying that you are brought to completion by the full knowledge of God of his word, as that knowledge has begun to produce wisdom and understanding in the realm of the Holy Spirit. So that knowledge uh, helps to make us complete and gives us wisdom and understanding that knowledge that comes from the word, from the teaching, and from the application of the word to, to your life. And so he writes there in verse 10, he says that you, I'm praying that you'd be controlled or complete in the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, walk having to do with your life, walking in a manner that is commensurate with the greatness of the one who died for you, the one who gave his life for you. Um, and, and I often think about that. If I'm watching something or going somewhere or doing something that does not reflect well on the Savior, it, it, it would be, it's worthy of just letting it go. 
because I don't want to do anything that reflects against him. You see, that's important. And so here it is, um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. We looked at that. We talked about the fact that it is not our natural inclination to please the Lord. It is my natural inclination to want to please who? Myself. That's right. That's who I want to, that's where, and I have to fight against that. Uh, and it's a battle all the time because I, I've used the illustration going down a buffet line. I always look at the food for me. I never look at the food for what other people should have. I'm, I'm very self-centered in that respect, not just food, but, but in life. And so he says that he's, he's called us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects and bearing fruit in every good work, being fruitful. That's extremely important. And, and that fruit doesn't have to be just inviting somebody to church. It can be doing something just to help somebody to have a good te a witness or a good testimony. If you work someplace like I do at Lowe's as a, as a cashier there part-time, uh, you can, the love that you have for Christ can be reflected in your concern for people there. People that I just have to honestly say that sometimes I don't find in the flesh very lovely. And yet there are people all around us that may not be very lovely that Christ loves and cares. And so we need to care for them. And we need to, to let the Lord speak to this. And we need to be reminded of these things. That's why this knowledge of his will and being fruitful is so very important. And so he says to be bearing food in every area, uh, good works, increasing, he says, and so that we are growing in this full knowledge and we are strengthened with all power. And we're going to stop there because this is, I want to take some time. And I realize that I'm working kind of slowly through this text and picking these out. But we're looking at this word power. Dunamis is the word. It's a very popular word in the New Testament. And um, it carries the idea of strength, of ability, and, and carries a pretty strong emphasis of inherent power, inherent ability, a power that's residing in a thing or someone by virtue of its nature. In other words, while the power that and we're going to be looking at that may come outside it comes to the person so that it is inherent in them and it looks like it's their power it looks like and appears that it's their power and the way it's used it's almost always a visible manifestation the power is somehow noticeable somehow uh, that which is obvious to other people and so uh, this is the word that is used here, and he's asking that they would be uh, strengthened or made strong with all power uh, according to his glorious might. That's what Paul is praying to this church. What does he mean by that? How do we look in that? Well, as I was going through the definitions, I found several places where this power is very obviously inherent, and I want to just look at those. And just bear with me and kind of apply the uses of this word to your life in various areas as it as it seems obvious. And the first one I looked at was I want to look at is Luke 117. And this is a picture of uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a fiery, non-compromising, confrontive, bold preacher. And in John 117, talking about uh, him, uh, it says he it was he who will go as a forerunner before him. John went as a forerunner before Christ, and he went as a forerunner in the spirit 
and power, there's the word, power of Elijah. So John the Baptist was going forth, was fulfilling, and was quoted by Jesus as going forth in the spirit, which is the spirit of Elijah. He was a fiery spirit and uh, power or boldness. And that power, notice it, it looks like it's inherent in John the Baptist, even though the power came obviously from the Holy Spirit in his life. It looks like it's inherent in his life. And he had that, that boldness, that strength, if you will, of character that, of, uh, of Elijah. And he had that boldness, just finishing out the verse, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. That's, that's the hearts of the fathers of Israel back to the children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so that, so as to make ready a people that prepare for war. That was part of John's preparation. There was the spirit and the, and the power of Elijah now being funneled through John to the people at that time. And you can kind of, kind of get a picture of that. Remember Elijah had a Pretty impressive ministry of confrontation. You remember the prophets of Baal. Uh, Jezebel was not very happy with him. He was, he was pretty fiery and pretty strong. So this is a picture of that. There's another verse there that contains that same word. Um, there's a lot of them actually, but this these are several I picked out. First Corinthians 15. Uh, in the passage, First Corinthians is dealing with the resurrection, and they're talking about the fact that death is swallowed up in in uh, in victory death where is your victory where is your sting and talking about that in verse 56 he says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law so death is that horrible enemy that stalks every one of us and as i get older i think about it more frequently and realize that i'm getting closer and closer i've preached many sermons where i've looked down at the box down there the casket and I've made the public statement many times that every one of us is going to take our turn in that box. As I get older, I realize that, that the turn may come a lot quicker than you think. And so uh, that's, that's just to face the reality. Death is that final enemy, if you will, that final um, element that comes about because of sin. It's the result of sin. And so here in this light, he, picture, he takes this, this, uh, this enemy, if you will, of death, and he says the sting or the bite, using the analogy of a hornet or a bee, the sting of death is sin. The sin has that power or has that influence. And the power of sin, and that power is the visible uh, power of sin, the power of sin is the law. So that's sort of an interesting thing to say. How is the law the power of sin? Well, we know that the law is there as a rigid standard, a good standard, a righteous standard, a holy standard. And it's a standard so perfect and so holy that while we are told to keep it, we can't keep it. We know that. And so it's our helpless condition that drives us because of the law to God to seek his mercy. And that's the, that's the picture of the power, if you will, that law to do that, to drive us to our needs. Um, we were talking this morning about Psalms and David's 
prayer in the Psalms, and there are very bold prayers. David prays and asks the Lord to take his hands out of his pockets and do this and do that and stop being uh, negligent and please answer his prayer. And then he reflects and he realizes the greatness of the one he's speaking to. I've done that. I've said things to the Lord, and I always try to say, no, Lord, you know I'm, I'm using hyperbole when I say this, and I'm trying to be not be disrespectful, but I really want you to do this, and I want you to open your ears and listen. And then after I prayed that, I realized that that God, that who I'm talking to, and we have to, we have to acknowledge that. And so this is important that he said the power, we, we see the display of power in the, of the law. Another one is in Acts 4, 7. Um, this is when Peter and John were accosted by the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem after they had healed the lame beggar. And uh, remember that uh, the beggar was begging, and uh, they asked Peter and John and for, mo for money, or well, he did, and he said, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And he said, rise up and walk. And he got up. He'd been crippled and lame from his birth, and he got up and started running and jumping. And you're talking about a transformation. And it looked in that picture as if it came from Peter. And so they were asking Peter, they said, uh, they placed Peter and John when they were interviewing them later and bringing them on the carpet, if you will, placed them in the center of the group and they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this and you heal this beggar? In other words, it looked like this, this power came from them. They said, well, I don't have silver gold, what I have I'll give you. But actually Peter said, no, it's, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that you crucified. That he stands before you like this. And so, um, one other verse in, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, uh, and this is especially good for us. It said, uh, we, we talked about preaching ourselves in that context. Paul was saying, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ. And then he comes to verse 20 and says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Doesn't, the kingdom of God is not just talk. It's not just religious uh, verbiage. It is power. And it's power displayed in us. If you're a believer, there should be a measure of a display of the, the, the Spirit of God in your life, helping you to, to keep your feet on the narrow path and sort of walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't come naturally. Now, there are a lot of religious people, a lot of people in church that can act that way and do that until something happens and it comes out of their mouth or something else. It, it does that. And I will have to say, unfortunately, that sometimes it can happen to Christians like myself. And it can be a real shocker. And I may say something and then I say, now, wait a minute, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that, because that is serious. But there is power. There is a display in our lives, 1 Corinthians 4.20. And it's not just words, but there is that, there is that reality, uh, the reality in us. There's also in the scripture, and this is, I will take a few minutes with this. I know I'm going to be running out of time, but this is really important. There is also the reality of the display of power in God. Um, and we know that, and, and it sounds kind of funny to say that, but yet at the same time, it is so abundant. So let me just give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, in that context, uh, we're talking about the ministry and the spreading of the gospel. And Paul writes, For God, who said light shine out of darkness, this is 2 Corinthians 4 7, 
For God, who said, light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, I haven't come to the word power yet, but notice the background here. He's talking about God who said, light shine out of darkness. That's a reference back to Genesis chapter 1, where the Lord said that there be light. That's a fascinating statement. Because at that time, we think of light and darkness as a normal part, and it's just everything, but it wasn't. At one time, the light didn't exist. And in the creation that God has set on the, he and the, the Council of the Trinity set down at the, at the blueprints of creation and, crea and designed all the elements of creation, includes the laws of physics and science and um, everything else. And they designed light, and then he designed light with the feature that it would dispel darkness. And so this was part of the creation. Now it's just, it's so abundant, we take it for granted, we can't imagine anything different from that, but that was that was not true at the beginning when God created the light. And so he created it, light to shine out of darkness. He is the same one, Paul says, who is shown in our hearts to enlighten us, give us a knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure now in earthen vessels. So what he's doing is he's holding up the physical realm uh, that God has created us as people, and we, we are in this physical realm, and we are called physical vessels. And he's now he's been talking about this gospel, the ministry of the gospel, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Now I realize there's a lot to say. What he's doing is using us as illustrations of the creation. And we are vessels of clay. And he's going to be talking about that, vessels of clay that contain a valuable treasure. Uh, we sometimes use the phrase like a garbage bag or a Walmart bag that you put common things in. But in, in this context here, um, he's going to be talking about the, the, uh, the contrast of valuable things placed in, in common things. And so he says, since we have this treasure in earth and vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves, and then he talks about the weakness of the flesh. He says, we are pressed together. That, that has to do with being in crowds. And we are pressed together with crowds in every way. But we're not crushed. We are perplexed. Or we are stranded. We are not knowing exactly how to proceed. But we are not despairing. We are persecuted. We are chased after. But we are not forsaken. We are struck down. Or I think the Part of that word is used of Satan being kicked out of heaven, kicked, thrown out, but not destroyed or executed. We're always carrying about in our physical self the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus so that his light, the principle of light that he has and, and that belongs to God, the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. So what he's saying here, and I know it's a lot, but the weakness that we have in our flesh and the weakness of going through these things, the power of God being displayed in our lives gives us the ability to endure these things and keep going. That this power is being manifested. It looks like we're strong. It's not that we're strong. It's that the power of the Lord, the power of the Spirit gives us strength, gives us the ability to endure these things. 
and he goes on to apply it. We are always carrying about in the body the name of Jesus. And the New Testament uses the word Jesus. That's an earthly name given to the second person of the Trinity when he was incarnate. Became a man, you should call his name Jesus. It refers to his physical human person. Uh, he says, always carrying a, in the body the dying of this man Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested, uh, poured out in our bodies. Give, just get it like this. It's hard to, to picture it, but um, when Christ died on the cross and he died for our sins, if we've come by faith to him, we have surrendered and to him and we died with him the bible uses the phrase uh, being crucified with christ there's a sense in which we died i know it's hard to understand that but if we have put our faith and trust in christ there is a sense in which we have died with him on the cross and when he is resurrected we have his resurrected power in our lives we, we live in newness of life and so this this uh, the power that in the weakness of our weak flesh, the, the power that is displayed is a, displayed in such a way that in our weakness, God's power is effective. Is what we, okay. So I know that it's a lot. Revelation chapter 4. Let me go through this real quick. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I'm going to read part of that to you. Beginning in verse 2, it says, immediate, John is writing. He's on the Isle of Patmos. And he's writing and he says, I was in the spirit. That is a way of saying that, um, that the Holy Spirit carried him and lifted him up. And so he's in like in a vision, seeing things in heaven. I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Let me just say this to you. This, this is so important. God is the only one who has the power of being in himself. Everything else is created everything else he is the only one who is not created he is eternal he's always been he always will be and there is no i, I was thinking about this why is there a throne the throne didn't exist till he created it what's the purpose of the throne it's a place for the final seat of authority so the lord has created in this creation there is a place where there is a, a throne over the universe that he has created established and sits on and john was privileged to witness that throne in revelation chapter four no chapter yeah chapter four and so he he talks about that he says um there was a throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne and he who was sitting was like jasper stone and a sardis in appearance and there was an, a rainbow around the throne now this john is describing in the spiritual realm to us in the physical realm so it may sound a little different but it's he's telling us what he sees and it's a it's a fascinating picture of the greatness of this throne which by the way we approach every wednesday night when we come to prayer if you pray to the Lord and you know him, when you go to him, you go to him on the throne. He is, he is enthroned. He is over everything. Daniel prayed. If we remember, Daniel prayed, and an angel was sent to Daniel in answer to his prayer, but the angel was delayed because of a warfare that was taking place in the spiritual realm. And when that angel, that was Gabriel, got to Daniel, um, he said, Daniel, Daniel, at the moment of your prayer, the command went forth for me to come here. I've been delayed, but the command went forth. 
That sends chills up and down my spine. When you have a, a, a young man who was a prisoner of war in a foreign land, kneeling and praying, in that same instant, the throne of the universe issues a command for a special messenger to get under Daniel. That is very, very impressive. We have access to that same throne because we come through Jesus. So if you're laying in bed at night, like I did when I was in California, and can't sleep because of um, three months behind him, I rant and I'm praying and begging the Lord, and I talk to him in darkness. I don't see a lot of light, and I don't hear a lot of thunder and stuff like that. And here in the mountains, I've prayed to the Lord in darkness. I live out in the country. But the throne of the universe is receiving my message. And he will respond in his way for his glory. I know that even though I don't feel it, and sometimes I'm not happy about not feeling it, but that's all right, he's in charge. So here is this throne that's functioning. There's a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald or diamond in appearance, and around the throne are 24 thrones. So you have the throne, then you have 24 thrones, and honestly, I'm not positive who are sitting on those thrones, but I do, I know they're not representative. I've had some say that they're representative, uh, some say it represents the church and other things. Other than not just represented because there were times when John would have a question and one of the elders off of one of these thrones gets over and talks to John personally. So I know that they are actually occupied by, uh, I think it was um, Chuck Missler who thinks they are uh, Jewish elders, Jewish leaders. I don't know for sure, but I know they're thrones and I know that the throne is there for leadership. And so you have the administrative organization of the Lord, the single throne, the 24 thrones that are involved in various areas of administration for his kingdom. And so you have this uh, throne and then on the throne, 24 elders sitting clothed with white garments and golden crowns on their head. And out of the throne comes flashes and lightnings and sounds and peals of thunder. There are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I'm just reading it. I just want to give you a picture of the awesome scene here. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a cat, third creature had the face like a, that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Again, don't think of this as gross. Don't think, you know, you, these creatures with, with eyes all around and stuff like that. We're looking at it from human perspective, our eyes. But these are creatures that can see everywhere, and they are majestic. And it is an awesome scene. It is a beautiful scene. And uh, when we get there and see it, we will stand in awe, I'm certain. And so this is a magnificent picture. The four and living creatures that were before the throne, each one of them having six wings and eyes full, around, full of eyes round within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, listen to this. This is the same thing as Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. Doesn't say... There's no place in the Bible where love is given three times or mercy or peace, but holiness, he is holy, which is the one attribute that makes him the most fearful because he is perfectly holy and we cannot stand in his presence unless we are. We will be consumed. But if we're in Christ, we stand in Christ. We stand, what does it say, complete in Christ. And so he's holy, 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 is the Lord God, the Almighty, was that El Shaddai, who was, and who is, and who is to come. Here he is. Everything else is created. Here is the one who has always been in the past, 
who is now sovereign and is going to be forever in the future. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, here's the worship of these creatures. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Now does this mean that God is just all of a sudden they give hand him some glory? That he didn't have before. You know, it's a recognition. And you think about power. Uh, this is this is resonant power. This is the power of display. And I've been, I don't know if you see some of these these pictures of this web telescope shooting pictures out of the universe. Just thousands and thousands of stars and galaxies all over the place. And he created that in six days. In fact, he created one day. He's he, he, he getting the, the stars, he created the stars also. And uh, it's, it's unbelievable. You talk about the power that is displayed, and he is the one who has that power. And he is the one that it says in Romans 1.16 that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation or deliverance. I, I, the people I've been talking to about being delivered from all kinds of things in their lives, and I tell you the power God's power is sufficient to do it if you surrender, not play religion, but if you surrender your life to Christ, you can do that. So here's, this, is, this is a very good picture. Here is the praise given to one for honor, glory, and power. The same is true in Revelation 7. Uh, it says the praise is amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. The same is in Revelation 11, 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Revelation 12, uh, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Revelation 15 talks about being the heaven being filled with smoke. Um, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. It's getting ready to fall, folks. So when that happens, it's, it's yeah. done. Um, who lives forever and ever, and the temple is filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Same as Mount Sinai. When he was on Mount Sinai, <coughs> there was smoke and uh, lightning and thunder and uh, loud the thundering. So the, it says the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. No one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Revelation, last one I'm going to give you, Revelation 19 uh, says that then I heard something like a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgment was true and righteous, and so on and so forth. So over and over and over and over again, this power is displayed as being a very essential aspect of God. Now, the verses that we're looking at today, there are two or three verses that display this power uh, as a as a moral issue. Um, 
1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Then I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. And so he's confronting these false teachers who are denying Paul's apostleship. He said, I'm going to have to confront them, not just their words, but their power, the display of their life, the things in their life. What, what your life consists of is your testimony of what you're like. It doesn't matter what you say. People say a lot of things. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do, how your life is. And that's what, that's what speaks so loudly that what you say can't be heard. You've heard that phrase. It's true. And so that's what he's saying. It's the power of what comes out of your life. Um, in first, Second Corinthians, we have this, this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God. That's the verse that we looked at before, but I'm just giving one reference to it, that it displays the power of God. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that you will be granted according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that we would have this internal spiritual power that uh, enables us to be strong. That's what Paul is praying. And that's the same thing that he's talking about here in the book, book of Ephesians in our text, which is the one that we are looking at when he says in uh, Colossians, I said in Ephesians, Colossians 1, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, which is where you learn of these things, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So in this passage here, I mentioned in the beginning that this, that, that this whole knowledge is that which kind of completes the picture, complete, brings us together, we're complete with all these things together. And the power is the thing that kind of demonstrates that and makes it obvious and, and gives us the ability to be strengthened and to be faithful in it. And, and that's what Paul is praying for us. And that's what I... I, I really pray for my life that um, that I would be strong in the strength of God, in the strength of Christ. I would be strong in Him. Uh, I'm a preacher. Uh, people know it at work. Uh, people sometimes, sometimes they treat me with joking around and stuff, but most of the time there is respect there. But I don't I don't want to be a hypocrite. You understand that? I don't want to have I don't want to have clergy written on the back of my bumper sticker and then have someone notice that I'm using bad language. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want my life I want my life to reflect the reality of the relationship with Christ and that his spirit and his word are being produced or being produced in my life in a way that honors Christ is glorious to him. And that's part of what he's talking about, that power that uh, is inherent within us, that is produced by the spirit, by the word. That's why we are in the word. We spend time in it and we invest in it and we obey it because there is, there is a display of reality there that it cannot be refuted. It cannot be put down. It may take a long time to build it, may take just a five minute time to destroy it in a lot of the people, but that power is very important because it comes as a real relationship. So that's what I pray. That's what Paul was praying here for them. And that's what I pray for you. Pray for you.